friends to the tomb of ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I am the tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Welcome back, Tomb Believers, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I'm your host, James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. And guys, we made it. We have had one official year of Tomb of Ideas. Woo! Yay! Wait, James? Does that mean we get to go home? No. Oh. No, we've got a lot more comics in our future. We're not even... You mean we're we're not done? We haven't done all of them? Not even close. Oh, we're we're still on Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider. Oh yeah, I, I keep yeah. trying to forget that those exist. At least we're done with Snake Dance. S- supposedly, I'll believe it when I see it. I checked; he's not coming up again. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Anyway. With this being our first anniversary, we are, of course, going to listen to all the warm salutations, emails, and voice recordings sent by you, our loving fans. In fact, here are a few of them now. Yep. Yeah, that's disappointing. It's okay. We understand. It was short notice. We didn't really make a big to-do out of this until, like, the week of. Um... So it's okay, but uh, we, we do love hearing from you. So, so if, if, you, if you listen, and if you like what you hear, please just, just give, us, give us a shout. Talk to us on Twitter, talk to us on, on Facebook, send us an email. You know, we're, we're happy to hear from you. Especially if you're our families. Yeah. We miss you so much. We really do. Anyway... We've got a great trio of comics for you this week on this special Halloween episode of Tomb of Ideas. We have Adventures into Fear, number 17, Werewolf by Night, number 10, and Frankenstein's Monster, number 6. Hey, that one got a title change. Yep, but not a renumbering, because it's not the 90s yet. Yep. So it's, it's the same book, same continuity, but uh, we have gone from the monster of Frankenstein to the Frankenstein monster. Yeah, and we, it's, it's, it's an interesting mix, this episode, guys. Yeah. And, but yeah. We'll, we'll get more into that when we get into the episodes. Some news we could probably talk about. Um, as we predicted on a previous episode, it does look like Jeff Loeb is leaving Marvel Television. Right. And, you know, that's probably been a long time coming. I mean, just in the, as Feige has consolidated power, it doesn't leave a whole lot for someone like Loeb to do. No. He doesn't really need a head of television when he's going to control everything. Right. Um, Because Feige is inevitable. Jeff Loeb tries to write I am Iron <laughs> Um Also, uh, Cloak and Dagger just got canceled. Yep. Um, they will make an, an appearance in the crossover with Runaways. Um, yep. 
and and they will continue voicing the characters in animation because the same actors play those characters in the animated stuff. But but the show itself did not get renewed. No, and it really makes me wonder if this Hellstrom series is going to make it past the pilot. Yeah, yeah. Which it, it seems, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what their budget is for this show, but something like Hellstrom seems like it would be relatively expensive to produce. So I would wonder why even go to the trouble of, of shooting a pilot and, and doing the effects for it if you're not going to at least do one season. They may not even do a finished pilot for it. They may just do an effectsless, musicless pilot and mm-hmm. be like, oh, no, not what I want to do. Pay the actors and let them go. True, true. We'll, we'll see. Um, just especially the the more the more I hear about uh, Feige wanting to do more of the monster characters with Midnight Suns, the more I wonder how how comfortable he is leaving Damon Hellstrom on on Hulu. I I really don't see it lasting that long there, and it makes me wonder. How are they going to go about making a Midnight Suns thing where, you know, they don't seem like they're really looking into making R-rated Marvel films? Except for Deadpool. Possibly Deadpool. The the most recent interviews have, have said that their intention is to keep it aimed at the same audience. Okay. I I mean I also wonder about Blade. Like Blade would have to be either a really hard PG thirteen or an R. Most of the Blade movies were R. They are doing more hard PG thirteen movies. Apparently, horror films nowadays are a lot of them are PG thirteen. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's you want to aim at the the teenage audience because they're the ones who mostly are going to see, especially like your. Your, your horror franchises like Conjuring and, and stuff like that. Like, you, you, you aim for PG-13 because that's that's going to maximize your ticket sales. Dude, teenagers are seeing the, the R-rated horror films in the, uh, anyway, so... I, I know, but but it is... You, you, you get a bigger crowd with that PG-13 because that there, are, there are no impediments to young people getting in. I suppose, but it just seems like watered-down horror to me. Not always. Um, th- there are. It is possible to do really effective PG-13 horror. Um, it. I mean, it, it is less gory, to be sure. But gore, gore and, and fear do not always have to be side-by-side. Uh, that's true. That's true. I mean, there are some of my favorite actually scary horror movies from the 60s and 70s, would probably get rated PG these days. Maybe PG-13. Like some of the Hammer stuff. Hammer stuff, or even uh, The Haunting, uh, or The Innocence. Like a lot of the ghost story type stuff, because it's all psychological, um, would likely not be rated very harshly. You know, I've not, I've not included nearly enough Hammer horror in my... Th- 31 Days of Horror Viewing. Oh, you really should. Um, Shudder's got a handful on there of, of lesser-known ones. Vampire Circus is fun. Um, mm. uh, I think some of the other Karnstein movies might be in there, uh, of that sort of cycle that, that eventually led to uh, Captain Kronos. Hands of the Ripper, maybe. I think that one's on there. 
Oh, there's a okay. Bit, there's a little bit of horror and a little bit of Hammer horror in there. Okay, I'll take a look. I, I recently upgraded from DVD to Blu-ray a set of Hammer horror movies that are a lot of fun. It's uh, it's got stuff like Brides of Dracula, and uh, the Hammer version of Phantom of the Opera, which is one of my favorite film versions of that story. Um, not accurate to the novel at all because no movie version is. Um, it's a bit like Dracula in that respect. But uh, but it's a, it's just a really fun movie. Speaking of inaccurate portrayals of the Phantom of the Opera, we should probably <laughs> go ahead and talk about our first comic right after this quick message. This October, the Cinepunks Podcast Group invites you to our annual celebration of all things spooky. Cineween. From October 1st to 31st, Cinepunks.com is your home for Halloween scares, new writing, special podcast episodes, all to make you feel seasonally creepy. I don't need this. Are you tired of the same old routine? My wife, my Busting your hump and getting nowhere? This just ain't my day. The boss, is he always on your back? Liza, my ass belongs in your chair, not in your lap, which is where you keep trying to put it. You bastard! The wife, you know, and the kids. Is that right? They never listen. I hate to see him pissing his life away in them goddamn computers. Do you ever feel like Forgetting the whole thing. You think I got it easy? Well, now you can. I'm talking about life! Drop out and join the ranks of the few. The filthy. <laughs> the trash. <laughs> I got my own place, a condominium. Where else can you live for free? And eat for even less? Well, be forewarned. Freedom has its price. Yes, there's always a snake in the Garden of Eden. What you got for me today? Today? Ten to fly viper. One buck. Here's to you, pussy. <laughs> Don't drink my viper. Watch. Street trash. It's easy to find us. We're all over the place. Street trash. Welcome back to Move Ideas. My name is James Hickson, and our first issue this episode is Werewolf by Night number 10. Cover date on this, as all our issues this week, is October 1973. Writer is Jerry Conway. Artist, inker, and letterer is Tom Sutton. Colorist is Petra Goldberg. Editor is Roy Thomas. And a title on this issue is The Savage Secret. Of Sarnak. 
We resume from last issue with the werewolf Jack Russell and his yet untransformed sister Liza as prisoners in the underground lair of the masked Zarnak and his grotesque minions. Sarnak uses the Russell's capture as an opportunity to monologue about his motivations. He was a music pirate, disfigured and escaped from the law, who was hired by the committee in order to use the Russell siblings as part of a plot to create an army of fear in order to stimulate the economy. No, seriously. Later, when Sarnak and his posse have gone out to brunch, I'm thinking a nice spicy eggs benedict, the rays of the morning sun transform Jack back into his human form. His improved climbing skill allows him to escape the pit. After a brief wrestling match with a nasty left to guard them, he swears to his sister that he will return for her. Jack then stumbles into the home of his friend, Buck Cohen. At Jack's request, Buck summons a sound engineer friend of his, Jim Carrey, no, not the guy from Batman Forever, to create a sonic screen that can be worn on the arm like a jogger's iPhone. This will hopefully prevent Sarnak from taking control of him again with his sonic whistle. That night, again the werewolf, Jack fights Sarnak and frees Liza, destroying the sonic whistle in the process. His means of controlling them destroyed, Sarnak's misshapen army turns on him, revealing the face behind the mask not to be misshapen, but actually rather handsome. Shortly, before he is presumably killed because we will never see this character again. There's also some stuff about that police lieutenant still investigating Jack and Liza and Jack and Liza's stepfather being kidnapped by henchmen from, from the committee, but we'll presumably get more into that next issue. Anyway, this was a stinker. Of yeah, movie. this one uh, doesn't do much for me. I guess the, the sort of standout bit of, of plot development is we finally get to meet the committee. Yeah, which apparently they're going to be our big bad for a while to come. Yeah, um, there's uh, I there are some things I can say about the committee, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll hold off for now. Yeah, it's it's heavily implied that they have some dealings with Philip Russell, um, Jack and Liza's stepfather, and may in fact be responsible for their mother's death. Death and and. I mean, they have, like, extensive dossiers on the Russell family. Yeah. Which, let's just talk about this for a second. Mm-hmm. So, their plan is to create an army of fear. Led by two werewolf siblings. Yeah. And to use that army of fear to stimulate the economy. Yes. How? Because uh, their argument, such that it is, is that the economy does best in times of turmoil. That that uh, their example is wartime. That like World War Two, um, like brought us out of the depression. But like part of that was that we ramped up manufacturing because of the war right and then when and then when the war was over soldiers came home and that that manufacturing output continued but shifted from weapons of war to like general stuff D domestic products yeah right 
Yeah, right. the, the the economic model being speculated about here doesn't actually work. People no. buy less during times of crisis because that t- right. the, the crisis creates uncertainty, which, you right. know, they're afraid. Yeah, they're afraid and less willing to spend money. People spending money is not not spending money is not good for markets. Right. right. We actually see a greater boost in buying in a security of peacetime. For example, that po- that post-war era where we start seeing a post-war boom, where we have, ah, we're at peace and prosperity. And even directly after that point, we do start seeing a slight recession before we get into the boom of the 1950s. I mean, uh, people forget that Truman was battling a recession at home when people were like, Dewey beats beats Truman. Right, right. Sorry, my history teacher's showing. Um, But yeah, no, these uh, these guys, uh, they're economic theory makes about as much sense as trickle-down economics oh sick burn yeah it's it it makes no sense whatsoever and also why do they think that the best way to execute this plan is to hire this weirdo knockoff fan of the opera pied piper dude okay let's talk about sarnak for a minute here shall we do we do we have to i mean he is the main villain in this comic I suppose. Um, he is lame. He's incredibly lame. Sarnak is so lame. And his origin? He's a music pirate? Yeah, he created Napster. <laughs> his tragic backstory is that he created Napster. And the police came to bust down his door and he, like, I don't know, slipped on... <laughs> Well, and, like, the twist is that he's fine, right? Like, that's the end of the issue. Yes, that old chestnut. Like, like they, they, they take the mask off, and, and he's just some kid. Yeah. He's some young dude who's not at all. And, of course, they're like, oh, but the real disfigurement was that of his soul. And I'm like, that that makes no sense. No. No, this this is maybe my least favorite villain since the the uh the second Kane brother. I know what you're talking about, boy. <laughs> like the 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 one that was obsessed with uh uh most dangerous game. Yeah. And I love that like they reference oh a simple emerald mask. I'm like, when in this story has this mask been green? It was blue every it single was time. blue every single time. Like, it is the same color as the police uniforms. Exactly. And speaking of muddy colors, man, the the coloring, the inks, the art in this issue. Yowza. Yeah, not great. This, is, this one's rough. And I think part of it is this was inked, art, ink, and lettering by Tom Sutton. Yeah. With, I mean, were they like under deadline for this? Did he like? Why did why why did he pull an all nighter? It's possible. Um, thing is, I don't hate <clears throat> I don't hate his take on the werewolf. It's 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 fine. It's not as bad as his take on Ghost Rider. No, no. But it, it, and it's and again, it's not as good as no. Pink. And that seems to be Tom Sutton's lot in life. He's the guy who's less good than Mike Plug to get brought in to replace Mike Plug. Right. He's the Plug alike. Yeah. 
but he's not Mike Plug. For one thing, one of the things that made this book so great are those montage scenes where we have these, you know, these eerie montages and playing with panel layout and right and 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 really creating atmosphere exactly um and we don't really get anything like that in this issue um the uh the transformations there's that one at the bottom of 22 which i mean it's all contained in one panel and so it's visually not as interesting as what plug might have done but you've got sort of the the transformation of his face with the moon sort of in the bottom corner of the panel that's the most interesting any of those images gets and it's not great no and i mean a great illustration of this is the big fight on page 21 yeah it's a mess it's a huge mess like Um, the coloring is inconsistent of the characters from panel to panel, the the creatures which are supposed to be grotesque are just lost in the art in the colors. Right, and and they're like monochrome. Like each one gets one color for like their whole exactly. Body. Where you can't really distinguish. Oh, what makes this so monstrous? And and normally I like when artists play with uh, onomatopoeia, like the sound effects and stuff. But but the crump of the car hitting the ground, putting it on the ground like that with the police officers on top of it, just, it's it's messy. Also, why are the cop cars green when it should be Sarnak's mass that's green and then you can make the cop cars blue? I mean, like... <laughs> right. It, and, and maybe that was a printing error. Possibly. Maybe, maybe the blues and the greens got flipped. But then the police officers are blue, so who knows? Yeah. Also, the the cop that's, like, shocked that they're turning over the patrol car, there's, like, ten guys there. I would hope they're able to turn over Yeah, the I, I've, I've seen soccer riots with left guys turning over police cars. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. Right. <laughs> I, I've actually seen soccer riots that are more terrifying than this rampage, so... But can we just uh, take a minute to acknowledge the best character of this issue not named Buck Cohen? Namely, Comic Book Kid. <laughs> comic Book Kid is great. Hey, my comics, watch it, will ya? And he's not wrong. I wish Thor and Spidey were in this issue, too. Right? That'd just be like Thor just, like, sweeping these guys with the, with his hammer. It's like, yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. These guys should not be a threat for anybody. Which, no. and it, it, it's interesting to point out, this plot seems like almost like a standard superhero plot. Oh yeah, no, you've you've got sort of well you, you've got the guy with like the gimmicked flute in this case, but it could be a gimmicked anything that allows him to control people. And uh Jack Russell get gets the 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 sound engineer guy to rig up this little thing he wear on his arm to screen out the the sound of the whistle. And first off, right. when has Jack Russell ever been this smart? Um, maybe he's growing as a person. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But like, we we do meet Jim Carrey here again, not yeah. the guy from Batman Forever. Carrey with a K. Yeah. Um, he he is neither a a Riddler nor a pet detective. No. Uh, and it, it seems like a standard superhero plot, which I don't have a problem with, honestly. But, like... Well, that plus the name-dropping of Thor and Spider-Man maybe is a sign of things to come. Yeah, he's already met Spider-Man. Right, right. But, like, like the, the, the that sort of thing is starting to come up in his own book. But my problem is, like, the actual fight that comes after that is boring. Yeah, it it's is. It's really boring. Like, the fight when he's Jack Russell fighting the guard trying to escape is way better than the actual fight at the end with the werewolf against the big bad. Yeah, and and part of it is it's, it's, it's an issue... We, we complained about this in some of the early stories, too, but it's another issue where in the final fight... There's nobody who ought to pose a threat. Right. Like, and we've had this issue again and again over World by Night, where we have these uh, kind of like nameless nobody, I'm wahaha villain, and you're like, nah, you're not, dude. Also, Sarnak, the more I look at these pages, the more he looks like great value Hobgoblin. <laughs> The the real villain here, by the way, is not Sarnak, but the Malays in the nineteen seventies. Right, because that's the whole that's the reason for the committee's existence. Right, like these guys will all later go to work for the Reagan administration. Oh, trust me, the committee is, is present in in the eighties. As far I'm pretty oh dear. sure. Um, and then they they have a, a resurgence in the early two thousands. Really. Somebody yeah. remembered these guys. Yeah. Okay. For for reasons that I'm not going to reveal yet. Oh, dear. But, like, yeah, these are just some guys in suits who are like, hmm, let's use some werewolves. Right. <laughs> because that makes sense. I, I, I also just think it's funny. They have this plan to use werewolves to create fear. But then when their leader brings in Sarnak, they're like, what's this costumed weirdo doing Exactly. Here? And it's like, you're you're on board with werewolves, but you're not on board with the guy in the cloak and the mask. No. Apparently not. It's just like... Okay. <laughs> right. Um, I, uh... I don't know. I don't see a letters page this time around. Um, they're still hyping Satana, um, who we're going to meet in the next Vampire Tales in in the uh, the uh, bullpen bulletin. Yep, which will be next episode, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, they're they're the next issue of Werewolf by Night is going to feature someone called the Hangman. Ooh, that sounds cool. Now. No, wait, I'm thinking about the headsman. No, yeah, I'm thinking about the yeah, headsman yeah. from Untold Tales of Spider-Man. One, one thing that does strike me about this uh, this issue is, again, it, it sort of goes back to the kid uh, uh, wishing that, that Spidey or Thor were there. Um, and that's that 
what it's hammering home is that the West Coast still does not have regular superhero presence. No, it's not until really... We got two years. Who is it? The Champions. Oh, yeah, the Champions. Oh, man. Champions of The Champions of Los Angeles. Oh, crap. We're covering that book on this show, aren't we? Yep, because it's got Ghost Rider. Yes, it does. But it's also got Hercules. Oh, I, I do enjoy Hercules. Hercules, Hercules. Um, and and I guess at some point, I, I can't remember if it's 70s or 80s. I'm wanting to say it is the 70s. But at some point, Daredevil moves to San Francisco. Yeah, it's the 70s. Is it the 70s? Because oh, that's right, because it's when he's with Black Widow. Remember in that Spider-Man team-up issue, he's going... Oh, that's right, because he wants pictures of Daredevil. Right. And then he's in the next issue of Daredevil and Black Widow, but there's no mention of the werewolf he just met, like, a few days right, ago. Right, right. Even though he does remember the werewolf the next time he fights a werewolf. Which is nice. Right. I mean, if you're going to do the thing... He... Um, yeah, yeah, he's not incredible. It's like, oh my god, it's a werewolf. But it's also telling at this point in time that the kid is not like, gee, I wish Daredevil were here. True. This is Los Angeles, and that is San Francisco. Sure. That, that's 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 a long drive. There's a reason why the Avengers set up their own West Coast team in the 1980s, because there was a power vacuum. deficit of superheroes. Yeah, a, a power vacuum. Good good choice of words. And it, it is funny, though, that when, when the first West Coast team gets created, it sort of has this horror presence built into it. Because the for, for the early 70s, the West Coast is where the horror books live. Right, and we get the Shroud, and part of Shroud's team at the time is Jack Russell. Yep. Although I think a very different version of Jack Russell. Yeah, no, he's going to go here. through some changes. Which will be interesting, because I guess we need to talk about those issues yeah, when yeah. they come up. Um, so we but, get to talk about the wackos. But, given that we're talking about books that are years away, I think we've exhausted what we can say about this issue of Werewolf by Night. Oh, I exhausted what we could say about this issue of Werewolf after I said Werewolf by Night number 10. One last thing. Can we just enjoy for a moment the way that Jack is revived by the loving embrace of Buck Cohen? <laughs> Buck Cohen's healing hands and and embrace. <laughs> it, 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 it's like, I mean, just just like, make them a couple like already. Jack shows up unexpected, and Buck is immediately like, "You bet, Jack. Whatever you need, I'll do anything for you." Pours him a cup of coffee and calls up a random sound engineer. Yeah, does not ask why he's not wearing a shirt and has manacles on. I, I think at this point, Buck has probably decided that like. Jack is turning tricks on the street or something. Either that or he's a werewolf. Oh, uh, I mean, that, that, that would make that sense. That seems unlikely, though. Right, right. He's totally turning tricks. Anyway, I, I think that does it for this month's Werewolf by Night. It, indeed it does. So let, let's take a break, and we will be back with Adventure into Fear with The Man-Thing. podcast network is a collection of super friends plus shag so what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends it's for all mankind a super friends podcast a read-through show about the classic dc comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run plus a few surprises hosted by me rob kelly and a rotating group of my super friends coming soon from the fire and water podcast network it all looks good to me 
Uh-oh, sounds like Lisa and Scott are trapped in the icy cave of that frosty-faced felon, Captain Cold. This is a job for Superman. My fast freeze zapper will freeze Superman forever. No way, Captain. Here, kids, my new Superman hot cocoa mix is the super-tasting way to warm up. And see, Captain Cold can't take this warm reception. New Superman Hot Cocoa, the super-tasting way to warm up. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Our next issue today is Adventure into Fear, number 17. Cover date is October 1973. Written by Steve Gerber, pencils by Val Merrick, inks by Sal Trapani, colors by George Russo's, Letterer is Gene Izzo, and the editor is Roy Thomas. Man-Thing approaches a strange silver rocket which has landed in its swamp. Its shape seems familiar, but the memory is just out of reach for the shambling creature. Man-Thing attempts to open the vessel, pounding at its metal exterior. Finally, he hurls the ship against a tree, causing an explosion. Out of the smoke and debris emerges a strange man who has just been born for the second time. Twenty-four years ago, on the planet Dakum, a scientist named Kektu realized that his planet's sun is about to go nova. Unable to persuade the Council of their imminent destruction, he begins constructing a ship that will take him along with his wife and child to another planet. Just as he is finishing his work, the police arrive and accuse him of defying the Council's decision. Both Kektu and his wife are killed, but Baby Wondar is placed in the ship and launched into space with no course charted. The baby spends 22 years knowing only the confined world of the ship until Man-Thing releases him. Fleeing the swamp, this strange visitor from another world quickly discovers that he is more powerful than a locomotive and able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. However, lacking any contact with the outside world, this powerful being is still very much a child, and lost, he cries for his missing mother, whom he is apparently conflated with the Man-Thing, the first being he saw upon emerging from the ship. Meanwhile, Jennifer Kale awakens as though from a nightmare, and her grandfather wonders if he should tell her the meaning of her dreams. Back in the swamp, Wondar encounters an alligator and attempts to play with it. When it attacks, Wondar lashes out and kills it. Man-Thing is still at the wreckage of the spaceship when Wondar finds his way back, and Wondar, still unable to fully control his body, crashes into the Man-Thing, toppling them both. Man-Thing mistakes this accident for an attack, and so Wondar is forced to defend himself against Mother. Their fight spills into the streets of the nearby town. Ultimately, the Man-Thing wants no part of this chaos and turns back toward the swamp, and Wondar, fearing abandonment by the only being he knows, falls to his knees to beg forgiveness. But Man-Thing does not understand and continues shambling home. Wondar accompanies the creature, holding onto its arm, but back in the swamp he loses his grip and becomes frightened, causing the Man-Thing's burning touch to sear Wondar's face. He realizes that this thing can't be his mother, and that he must continue searching for a place where he belongs.
So Jean Ezo was the daughter of Artie Simic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, she did a few jobs under her maiden name of uh, Jean Simic. She right. did a few jobs under her married name of um, Jean Ezo. And it looks like she might have also done some work under the name Jean Hip. Okay. So, Learned yeah. Something new. Yeah. Um, so, am I allowed to use the S word on this podcast? Um, because I feel like this issue is having some fun with some ideas from the distinguished competition. I mean, we said shit before, so why not? <laughs> um, in, in case my uh, deliberate use of certain phrasing uh, was not immediately apparent, uh, they recreated the Superman origin here. Yeah, with a twist on the at the end, right? Because uh, the the ship goes right over Ma and Pa's truck and lands in the swamp, yeah. so they don't investigate. Yeah, so it's it's like, hey, no, I don't want you getting ray gunned. We're not. I'm not letting you venture into the swamp. Right, right. And so Wondar has no human contact for the twenty two years of his life. Right, right. Um. And uh, it's interesting. It's it's sort of um, Marvel certainly has its share of Superman pastiches. Um, this might be one of the first. I think so. Uh, of course, later we get Sentry and we get uh, oh, what's don't his name? S- uh, Gladiator. Don't, don't 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 say that name. Gladiator. No. Oh, the the other guy. Yeah. God, I hate him. <clears throat> I, I'm not a fan either. Um, so, but I, it, it's interesting. It's the thing about this issue is it's fun, but it's not a very good man thing issue. No, that this this is not so much the latest installment of man thing as it's a backdoor pilot for Wondar super powered space Jesus. Which they go full throttle on it later on in Marvel 2 and 1. Yeah, yeah. Which we won't get into that here because they just covered that on Fantastic Ass, but... Yeah. They they just go, like, full Space Jesus hippie guy, and he becomes a queer. Marvel has a bunch of Space Jesuses, too. Well, yeah. Space Jesus is just fun to say. Right. It's just funny that... One of their space Jesuses is also a Superman analog. Yeah, a pastiche, really. Right, right. And it's just, uh, I find it funny that on the cover, the colors are swapped, the red bodysuit and the blue underwear and boots. But in the book itself, they straight up go blue bodysuit, red trunks, red boots. Although they don't have the gold pendant that he's wearing on the cover. Because that gold pendant right where the S would be would have been a bit much, I think. Maybe, maybe. And instead of having a uh, red cape, he has a red bandana? It looks almost like a bolo tie. Almost. It's, you know, I've never been big on alien fashion, so. Huh. Um, and he also has the, the long sort of reddish brown hair. Yeah, but like some of these leaping poses, I feel like they just copied from... <laughs> 
uh, Joe Schuster pencils. A little bit. It's a little like a cross between Golden Age Superman and Tarzan. Yeah, that, that actually works really well. Some loony kid in a Buck Rogers suit. <laughs> also, I find it funny that this fight apparently is happening at 2 a.m. at night. But at no point does the lighting we see in this issue look like 2 a.m. Yeah, no, it, it looks... And also, there's a lot of people out and about for it to be Right, there. even if these people have just been woken up, most times people don't live right outside city center. Right. I have to say, though, I actually found this comic to be a hoot. It's fun. It's goofy, it, but it's fun. It's You can see a lot of Steve Gerber's interests coming up in this one. Yes, where it's kind of like, you know what? Nobody's paying attention to what I'm doing in this book. Let's just have fun with it. And he does that. And down the road, that leads us to something else, which we're going to have fun with. Um, it is, it's worth interesting that Gerber gives a special thanks to, uh, Credence Clearwater Revival. Does he now? Yep, in the credits. Yep, on the first oh, page. I didn't notice that. Special thanks for inspiration to John Fogarty and Credence Clearwater for Revival, Steve Gerber. Yeah. Yep. So, am I missing what the inspiration was here? Because I'm not too familiar with Credence Clearwater. I'm... I'm not really sure. Listeners, if you realize, if you know what this is in reference to, please let us know. We're always happy to hear from you. Yeah, and we're sort of grasping at straws on that one. So yeah. So besides that, I always kind of liked Wondar. He's he's an interesting character. He's not my favorite Superman pastiche in Marvel. No, uh, that would be Gladiator. But he does show up again later when Steve Gerber is being. Marvel 2-in-1. Yeah, and that's when he gets extra special juice. Well, no, actually. No. Is it not? He is still, like, you know, very childish Wondar there. It's okay. only when, okay. like, Roger Stern uh, bring him back later as part of Project Pegasus. Oh, right. I forgot all about the Project yeah, Pegasus. Yeah, he gets super Jesus-y. Yeah, and at some point, he and Jennifer Kale are involved in something. Probably. You know, Gerber kids having adventures. Worth noting that there is a single um, callback to the events of issue number 16, when one of the construction workers accuses Wondar of being, quote, another blasted long-haired engine. Right, never thought we'd see that issue referenced again. Well, I told you that 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 guy comes back, Schist or whatever. The the owner of the company keeps coming back. Okay. So we have not seen the last of that, but I did not expect it to be a part of this issue. No, which I guess means we're not getting rid of that subplot yet. It's also worth noting that I just think it's weird that all these construction workers are packing heat. Well, consider you know there's a swamp monster running around and we saw what happened the last time they shot him true but i imagine they are all proud nra members at this point 
art is definitely a step up from what we saw in Werewolf by Night. Definitely. I, I, I'm really enjoying Val Myrick's pencils here. Yeah, and, and the flashback stuff on the alien planet has kind of a nice, almost late Silver Age look to it. Yeah, I'm really surprised they got away with this, by the way. Oh yeah, this is borderline litigious. Basically, all you had to do is change the names and it's, it's straight up Superman until he gets to Earth. He's from planet uh, Dakum and is a Dakamite. Which is very close to Daxum, you're right. Like, it's not hard to make a K into an X. No. <laughs> it's kind of sad he killed the alligator here. And that there's no sort of recognition, you know? Like, like he he learns to kill without learning the consequences. And Because I really think if he had been a little more patient with it, he really could have made the, the alligator his friend. Which I think is funny, because then he'd have a pet alligator running around the swamp with him as a Superman analog. Right, which it'd be, he'd almost be like, Swamp Kazar or no, something. No, he'd be Swamp Crypto. Oh, yes. <laughs> Put yes. a little cape on that alligator. <laughs> Daco? Uh, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> Doggy. It's interesting, too, that like all of the violence in this issue is accidental. That kind of makes it more tragic, I think. It does. It does. Like Because Wondar keeps sort of reaching out for affection but in doing so creates more violence yeah it's it's not unlike some of the pages of monster of frankenstein true which is actually kind of interesting because they've managed to make superman into a monster here yeah yeah it's superman without the sort of ideals and morals that come from having a life but at the same time it's it's not like something like brightburn where right where it's like <laughs> what if superman was evil yeah it, it's not superman by way of the omen right no it's it's hey this person has had a fairly tragic upbringing he just does not understand right and i like it yeah no it's 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 cool it's uh i i would i would be interested to see more of the character cuz i really have only the vaguest memories of Wondar stories, and, and as you may have gathered, they're mostly from the later Stern stuff that's not as good. Yeah, when they're like, hey, let's do this completely weird out-of-character thing with this character. Boom, you have, you have you have hippie space Jesus here after Disco's already dead, so right. do with that what you will. Yeah, um, but, but here, I think the character works really well. It's an interesting direction uh, like i say it doesn't add much to the man thing story it's telling that jennifer kale gets a cameo that has nothing to do with the rest of the plot true um which is which is twice that that's happened is it what was the other time it happened uh the the last issue oh yeah um because because they are at the protest against the construction company but they have no bearing on the plot no and again it's reminding us hey these people are still here we may do something with them at some point they're still here and there is still a mysterious secret about Jennifer Kale, but we can't tell you yet. Nope. So I, I do I do look forward to eventually getting more of the supporting cast back. Yeah, well, I think that does it for Man Thing. Yeah, no, it, it's fine. It, Wondar is 100% a Gerber character, and whether you like this issue will really depend on how much you like Gerber's ideas. What is your Gerber tolerance? <laughs> uh, Mine is rather high I, I would say so yeah i i like most gerber stuff so so this is fun 
Um, but I, I think you're right. I think that pretty much does it for Man-Thing. We'll, we'll see him again eventually. I think even like part of the deal of this show, at least at this stage, is we are basically in the wilds of 1970s Marvel. Yeah, and, and which afforded creators a fair amount of freedom to, to just experiment with stuff. Because, again, this is the era where it's like, hey, I'm an editor. Well, I'm an editor. Well, you go do your stuff, and I won't bother you doing my stuff. Okay. Right. And never the two shall meet, except maybe Spider-Man team up. <laughs> or two in one. Exactly. Anyway, we'll be right back with the Frankenstein monster, number six, right after this message. <laughs> Monthly, monthly, monthly. It's Action Film Face Off. Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Action Film Face Off. Yes, thank you, Jared. Action Film Face-Off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets... Jason was a Navy SEAL! Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence wing. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face-Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris! Technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet, but it could happen because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films, each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it! We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our Video Dome arena. It also has spikes! It does not have spikes. But we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high! Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off. Next episode, Jason fights a bear! Jason is not fighting a bear, but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade Network of Shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade, or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face-Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face-Off. We do, indeed, invite you to come and see the blood fly. I just said that! <laughs> Breathtaking Man of La Mancha, Broadway's most beloved musical. I don't think I'll ever, ever, ever see another show like it in my life. I saw the original, this is much better. It was amazing. Very moving. I cried a lot. It was beautiful. Greatest show I've ever seen, period. It was fabulous. I just got goosebumps. Man, that was great. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Bravo. Oh, excelente. It was great. And I bought the mug.
see Man of La Mancha. Call 212-239-6200 today. Welcome back to Believers. Our last issue for this episode is Frankenstein's Monster, number six. Writer is Gary Friedrich and Mike Plug. Artist is Mike Plug. Inker is Mike Plug. Colorist is Glennis Ween. Letter is John Costanza. Editor is Roy Thomas. A young prison guard is investigating the disappearance of the 10th prisoner this month from the town jail in Ingolstadt, which also happens to be the location of what remains of Castle Frankenstein. The guard suspects the infamous edifice plays a role in the disappearances and goes to investigate the spurs from his commander to leave matters alone. Along the way, he runs into the star of our book, the Frankenstein Monster, also making his way to Frankenstein's castle in hopes of finding and killing the last living remnants of his creator. The two fight the monster easily defeating the young guard and leaving him for dead. The monster then arrives at the castle, finding to his dismay that it seems abandoned and lost to decay. Until, that is, he arrives in the basement levels. There he finds grotesque slaves tossing a bound form into a pit at the order of a man in fancy uniform and golden helmet. By the evil and hatred in the man's voice, the monster assumes this to be the descendant of his creator and moves to attack him. Instead, he is dogpiled on by the man's seemingly endless supply of slaves. Once the monster is subdued, he sees the secret of the pit, a giant spider which drains men's souls, leaving them as slaves for the man in the gold helmet. The man and his servants leave the monster chained to the wall beside the pit while they all presumably go out for a nice lunch. Guys, Carl made his famous chili, his dad's recipe and everything. He used his jalapeno peppers you guys really like. It's going to be great. Alas, when the monster tries to break his bonds, he only succeeds in making a crack in the wall through which water begins to trickle through. To make matters worse, the guard from earlier appears, blaming the monster for the disappearances and pledging to end his reign of terror. He is only stopped by the return of the man in the golden helmet, who reveals himself not to be the last of the Frankensteins, but as the commanding officer of the jail. The two sword fight, and the officer seems to have the younger man on the ropes, only to be saved in the last minute by the spider. You see, that tiny trickle of water has grown and has now filled the pit, allowing the spider to float to the top. The monster takes the opportunity to free himself from the restraints, causing the chamber to flood completely. The monster fights the giant spider, drowning the overgrown arachnid just before the wall of the dungeon bursts in the pressure of the water, sending the monster over the cliff into the lake below and out into the world once again to continue his search for the last Frankenstein. Huh. I feel like this story is what the Werewolf by Night story wanted to be. Yeah. I mean, there, there are definite similarities with, with a guy in a mask um, commanding an army of mindless, grotesque minions. Right. But I feel like this story did it better. <laughs> well, this story had a giant spider. Right. And gorgeous Mike Plug artwork. Yes, absolutely. Um, which... I, I'm sorry. Maybe I missed something. What is Gold Helmet Guy's plan? And where did he get the giant soul-eating spider? Um. Well, you see, there was this scientist in Haiti. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
That was only last episode, yeah. Trey. I know. This is know. October 1973 is a very giant spider-heavy month. It was, apparently. Um, but yeah, that if I have a complaint, it's that. That I don't really get the motivations of the gold helmet guy. No, it just seems like he's creating an army of soulless slaves. I guess you do you, man, but, you know, that's kind of a human rights violation, so, yeah. Yeah, that's not not ideal. Um, I do like his sense of style, though. He's got, oh, yeah. No, go, he's go got this it. fancy um, dress uniform, very, very swanky, and this really nice golden helmet. Although, I'm pretty sure it's not the one of Membrino. <laughs> Golden helmet of Manbrino, there can be no helmet here. Golden helmet of Manbrino, something, something um, history. For one thing, this one does not look much like a shaving basin. It's, it, it's, it's nice, you know. Yeah, I, 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 you gotta admire his his um, he's really going for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the face mask part doesn't completely cover like the mustache and mustache. No, those are kind of a giveaway. <laughs> Which you know. But but he's got some nice epaulets, and I always do like exactly with you know. And there's this big like, I think it's an e or a griffin on top of the helmet something like that yeah Yeah, i mean hey man that's that's cool although it, it's although it appears look. to later become a dragon so yeah that that's a little inconsistent um i enjoy the sword fight yeah the sword fight is fun we don't often get just a swashbuckling sword fight like this like the last time i guess was the solomon kane story uh where he fought dracula yeah not as good as the sword fight there, I will say. No, no. Because, damn, that was good. It was. But but this is still a pretty good sword fight. Right? And, and Plug captures the action of it well. Although, for some reason, in my memory, before I went back and did the summary, the gold helmet guy was killed by the spider. But he mm. isn't. He, 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 he drowns in when Frankenstein bursts his chains. Right, yeah, um, because, uh, yeah, no one actually dispatches him. The The monster, Frankenstein, then uh, fights the spider, but he doesn't have to fight the guy. Yeah, in fact, they even point here, in mere seconds, the chamber is filled to the brim with angry, churning water, and as the monster desperately fights his way towards a precious breath, he sees his antagonist helplessly sinking to the bottom, trapped by the awesome weight of his steel mask. Which, I guess that's the downside to having a cool helmet, is it weighs you down. But how hard is that to take off? It looks like it's pretty stuck. I mean, but it's not like, it's not even like a full face mask. There's nothing underneath the chin there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he is, has a large head, and it's not quite big enough, but he liked it so much that he wore it anyway. Oh, yeah, I've, I've had that. I've got a Stormtrooper helmet like that. I mean, I, I get that. I, I have a large head, and, and sometimes it's hard to find a hat that fits. It really is. I, I, I gotta tell you, like, when I went to Universal and I went to the hat place at Universal, I couldn't find anything that fit me. Um, I do have one other complaint. 
about layouts. Okay. And and it's something that happens a good bit in 70s comics, especially at Marvel, and it seems like a thing that Plug does a lot, but I really don't like it when the flow from panel to panel is not obvious and they have to add the arrows showing you which way to read. Yeah. This is not the only issue that does it, but this issue does it. Yeah, it does it a lot, actually. Um, let's see, hold on. I, I think the Werewolf by Night issue did it, too. Oh, the one that stands out to me is uh, page 17. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Um, because you've got two smaller panels on the left side and then one long panel next to it that takes up the same amount of space. Um, and when I see that kind of layout, my immediate instinct is to read the two smaller panels and then go to the right and then we see it again later on page 27 where it honestly doesn't seem like it's necessary because you have those two smaller panels which you would read first and then the big larger panel to the right but they do right. feel the need to be like okay read this then this then this well i think because it's doing the opposite of what the previous time you had a layout like that yeah like, that's the thing, is that they're inconsistent in what the reading pattern should be. And because they're inconsistent, they have to put the arrows to tell you every time. And I, I just, I wish they would just pick a pattern and go with it. Yeah. So, again, this is, that's not, it's not all on Plug. This was a, this was a thing that just happened in comics at the time. Um, but I, I've never liked it. No, it, it, it makes sense why you wouldn't. I think a lot of comic artists nowadays kind of point to that and say don't do that just just yeah no it's just a yeah. bad layout and plug is usually good at layout so yeah and really we don't have any of his really fancy montages here although we do have a fantastic double page spread for the title page yeah no the opening is gorgeous right um the title being, of course, which I don't think we covered previously, In Search of the Last Frankenstein. Which uh, I would watch that. Although it's show. worth noting, why is there a Frankenstein castle? There's there's no castle in the books. Huh. No. Even if you're going with the Universal Monsters version, like, it's not actually a castle. It's like an old watchtower that he's converted right? into a laboratory. There is no reason for there to be a Castle Frankenstein. Like, his family is wealthy, but, like, it's not the Middle Ages. Yeah, also, they're not that wealthy. Right, right. They, they, they are aristocratic, but I think it even mentioned that, you know, he, he served people who were that wealthy. Right. The father did, but, like, he himself was not that wealthy. Yeah, yeah, the further we get away from the Mary Shelley novel, the more we're seeing the pop cultural imagination version of Frankenstein creeping into the book. Right, because I'm pretty sure the house we saw in the in that adaptation was not a castle. No, it was, it was not. a manor house at best. Right, right. It was fancy, but it was no. not a castle. It did not. It did not have a dungeon with a. Pig. No, it did not. And we don't get the manner of Frankenstein here. We get the Castle Frankenstein, which right. does get pretty <laughs> thoroughly destroyed at the end of this issue. It, it does. Um, and, and I guess the monster is going to continue traveling east um, to 
a place that that uh, we've actually read a good bit about in our our Marvel reading. Transylvania. Yep. Six five thousand. No. Um, <laughs> but which is funny because he'll presumably find another Castle Frankenstein there because. There's a Castle Frankenstein that we encounter in Silver Surfer. Oh, right. But that that doesn't count. Which is technically after this issue. Right. But that's not the last Frankenstein. Well, he's a descendant of Frankenstein. Didn't he die? At the end of that issue, but that issue takes place in the 1970s. Oh, 60s. Oh, yeah. That's true. So, so that means that that means the monster cannot be successful in extinguishing the line. No. In fact, because we even see his looking at various attempts of his descendants are, yeah, of his ancestors to create monsters. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, in- huh. including film footage where there should not be film footage. Right. <laughs> but I feel like. Friedrich and Plug just have to be sitting there thinking, well, that doesn't count. And yet, some asshole on the internet, 40 years after this issue is put out, will point it out on his fucking podcast. I guarantee you. <laughs> uh, wait, yeah. are we that yeah. asshole? We're that asshole. I mean, that that, that checks out. Definitely. It, it's, it's, it's a good issue, though. It's, it's fine. I, again... Character motivations are all, all over the place, but uh, just in terms of the the atmosphere and the art and and the the action, it's fun. It's a fun read. It really is a lot of fun. I think part of the reason I enjoy it so much is it because it does what the Werewolf by Night issue tries to do, but just does it with so much more oomph. Right. So I enjoyed reading it. And and the uh, <clears throat> and the villain drowning because of the weight of his mask is a much more interesting twist than the payoff of the guy not needing to wear a mask in the first place. And I guess it's, yeah. And it actually is a better ending than the spider eating him. Now that I think about it, Mm -hmm. because it's just like, Oh, his vanity. That's his fashion accessory killed him. Uh (laughs) Yeah. It's like, okay. This comic still has that kind of hammer horror feel to it that makes this era of Marvel horror so appealing. It does. Where the Werewolf by Night issue kind of reminded me of that movie Street Trash, mm. which was really a watch when I did that when Joe Bob did it on the last drive-in. Yeah, that one. That one's not one of my favorites. And and you're right. It's got that kind of like. I don't know, almost smirking. It's punching down. Right? You know? Like, oh, people are stupid, so the way to manipulate them is an army of fear led by two werewolves. And, our... and even even that, like, the army of fear is a bunch of, like, manipulated homeless guys. Yeah. Grotesquely. Grotesque homeless guys. Much like... Yeah. Uh... Uh, stretch yeah like it, it's i don't know it felt it felt especially in poor taste today but probably would have been in poor taste then too and and there's like and again that same kind of like cynical winking at the audience 
there, there's that bit, which we didn't talk about in the werewolf issue, where, like, the hippie and the cop join forces against the, the yeah. horde. And it's kind of like, ah, look at this odd couple. Right. It, I don't know. It didn't do much for me. And and you don't have any of that here. Here it's played straight. Um, right. He's not a and, he's not a fucking music pirate. Right. And 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 it's it because of that it it plays creepier. Indeed. And it plays with more excitement. Anyway, as usual, I look forward to more Frankenstein, and I hope Werewolf improves. Yeah. Like, I really like the supporting cast of Werewolf, and they need to lean more on them. Like, we need more Buck Owen. Yep. Give the people what the people demand. Because he was barely a plot device in that issue. No, he, he, he was a conduit to get the device. Yep. Yep. So, I won- I do wonder if uh, if Frankenstein's monster is going to meet Dracula anytime soon. Well, he is going to Transylvania, so that sounds promising. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I wonder how many issues before that happens. I haven't looked up to the next issue, so hold on. I, I I've I've been avoiding spoilers on this one because uh, I, I want to sort of see it fresh as we do the show. I think that does it for this issue of Frankenstein's Monster. That's right. Now the new official title of the book. <laughs> uh, did I even drop that eventually? It just becomes Frankenstein. No, it looks like all the all the way up through the last issue, it is just the Frankenstein monster. It's often just shortened Frankenstein and short, I guess. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. Well, especially when it was Monster of Frankenstein, Monster of was usually in smaller print than Frankenstein. Yes. Sort of like uh, Adventure into Fear. The title of that book has effectively become Man-Thing. Yes. Even though Adventure into Fear is still on the title. Yeah, looks like it does stay Frankenstein monster until it ends with 18, yeah. Yeah, which uh, we are quickly approaching the midway point of that run. Oh, yeah, we are. So, yeah, that'll be fun. I think that actually does it for this issue, Trey, which means it that does it for another episode of Tomb of Ideas, which means that does it for our first year of podcasting that also means that it is halloween it is we have covered a lot of ground in a year yeah so what do you think has been your favorite book that we've talked about so far oh gosh um let's see maybe i think tomb of dracula has been the most consistent okay I think that one, and the especially recent issues with the introduction of Blade and sort of changing up the style and the supporting cast a little bit, has really done a lot to make that an exciting book. I gotta say, I really was not expecting to like Werewolf by Night as much as I do. And there's reason for me to enjoy Werewolf by Night! <laughs> I don't know why! <laughs> Why I'm enjoying Werewolf by Night. I just like the supporting characters. I like the cast. Yeah, it has a great set of characters. Um, I'm a sucker for werewolf stories. I love werewolf movies, the Wolfman, the Howling, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Hammer's uh, Curse of the Werewolf, all of it. Uh, but and, and so on that level, I was always going to be at least a little bit into Werewolf by Night. But you're right. It's... Even when it's not good, there's something about it that keeps you reading. Yeah. 
It, it's 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 weird. And it's weirdly important to the Marvel universe with all the Darkhold stuff. Yeah, it is. I mean, there there's a surprising amount being set up in uh, Werewolf by Night. I think that torch will be carried on by let's say Dracula and Ghost are going forward after Werewolf by Night ends. Yeah. But it's really interesting seeing that stuff starting out in what was really a humble title about a idiot turning into a werewolf. And and we could say the same thing about uh, Man-Thing, uh, Adventure into Fear. Uh, now that Steve Gerber has taken over, you can see it becoming sort of a keystone of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. And, like, with Man-Thing, the... The idea is, ooh, I can't see what I can't see what Steve Gerber's doing now. Right. With Werewolf by Night, it really is. Hey, I want to check and see what's going on with Jack and Liza and Buck Cohen. Right. Right. And have they revealed the big secret on Philip yet that we all saw coming? Right. So the answer to all this is no, they haven't. But and and so and so all of that said. I think we can agree that the number one standout series of our first year has to be Ghost Rider. <laughs> There's so much more Ghost Rider to go try. Do you remember when Ghost Rider was good? No, not really. <laughs> yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. Someday. When we're old and gray. Um, actually, interestingly, uh, one of the uh, free comic books for this year's Halloween Comic Fest was a Ghost Rider issue. Oh, sweet. Yeah, Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider. Wasn't it good? I, I picked it up. I've not had a chance to read it yet. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, they're, uh, the, the Marvel's Halloween Comic Fest books this year were, uh, were Ghost Rider, um, Iron Man 2020 Prelude, and... Um, I think maybe a Miles Morales thing. Makes sense. He's big right now. So I, I picked up the Ghost Rider because if I'm getting a Halloween comic, I want it to have a monster yeah. in it. Anyway, I think that does do it for our first year of Tomb of Ideas. Ladies and gentlemen, we could not have done this without you, our lovely listeners. We know you're out there somewhere. Please reach out to us. Talk to us. We want to hear from you. You can always email us at tombofideas at gmail.com. Reach us on Twitter at tombofideas. Uh, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash tombofideas. And, of course, if you are feeling generous, you can always reach a, leave us a review on iTunes. In fact, Trey, somebody did recently do that not too long ago we have a five-star review from august 29th 2019 so we are a little bit loading this but it's from intrepid traveler i'm a tomb believer marvel comic horror podcasted at its best really know their marvel horror continuity and the writers and artists who created these great works i love the eerie commercials and background music during the synopsis can't forget Headstone P. Gravely. Favorite podcast to listen to during a dark night and 
ever-fading full moon. I've only gotten episode seven, but I will be binging this podcast to catch up. Thanks for giving me a new niche to delve into. Well, Intrepid Traveler, we are thrilled to do so for you. And hopefully at this point you have caught up to us and we'll be able to listen to this episode when it comes out on Halloween, our one-year anniversary of the podcast. That's right. We, we appreciate that really great review. Um, you, should, you should do likewise if you're listening right now. Uh, give us that feedback, uh, especially through your podcast uh, app of choice, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Stitcher, whatever you're using. Subscribe and review. Those reviews help with the algorithms. It helps more people see the show. Um, I don't really understand the math of it, but uh, my understanding is that the more of those reviews we get, the more likely it will show up in other people's recommendations. Right. And hey, if you want to hear your voice on the podcast, we'll even take voicemail from you. Just drop that into us at tombofideas at gmail.com. And we'll be happy to play that on the show. And while we're thanking people, I think we should also thank our uh, our hosts uh, at cinepunks.com for uh, providing hosting and uh sort of a place for us to keep our uh our episodes uh cinepunks.com is a, a great website that covers movies music tv all kinds of stuff liam and the gang do a great job over there they are as we uh as this is coming out wrapping up a one month long cineween celebration uh which is covering uh their uh written articles their podcasts uh, they're going to some live events and reporting on things, so uh, there's a lot to really enjoy. So go to cinepunks.com, check out the other podcasts, check out the, the articles that are posted. There's a lot of really great content, and if you like spooky stuff, there's a month's worth of brand new spooky stuff uh, on, the, on the site right now. Great, great stuff, and I highly recommend it. Anyway, like we said, folks, that does it for another exciting episode of the tomb of ideas again guys we are so grateful to have you as part of our audience and to know that you're out there listening and just thank you yeah thanks thanks for giving this show a shot for uh being there and listening it's it's nice to know that we're not just shouting out into the void and of course please remember guys if you can contact our families or authorities, please do so. We want out of this tomb so badly. Please, 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 please. Right. We, we have to be quiet about this. Gravely will not, Gra- Gravely does not like it when we talk about this, but we are so lonely and so cold and hungry. Please. Anyway. Be sure to join us next time where we'll be covering Tomb of Dracula number 13 and Vampire Tales number 2. Until next time, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Members, Excelsior! Ha 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 ha!